This is Archive Atlanta, episode 134, Briar Park Court. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week I had the pleasure of meeting in person and recording with Caitlin Mee, otherwise known as the Preservation Peach. And I've been following her on Instagram for years and after posting some mid-century buildings in Northeast Atlanta, she asked me if I'd ever heard of Briar Park Court, which I definitely had not. So we were able to get together, we recorded inside Constellations on Auburn Avenue, and I got to learn all about this one street, 1950s residential development. Its architect and resident, Andre Steiner, was born in Austria-Hungary, studied architecture, fled the Nazis, saved lives, moved to Cuba, and then to Atlanta in 1950. And here he worked in urban planning and designed this neighborhood basically for his friends. So we're going to talk about all of that. Um, we talked about DeKalb County, white flight, mid-century architecture, historic preservation, and the homes in this little incredible capsule community. You do not want to miss this conversation. Also, just a fun note, my equipment just completely spazzed out when we started to try to use it. I was picking up a weird radio station and or it was haunted. You know, we'll never know. Um, but Kaylin really saved the day. She read the direction. She figured out how to log in and we got to use um, the podcast studio's equipment. So that is what we were cheering about when the interview starts. So without further ado, here's my interview with Caitlin. This works. Yay, we did it. Okay, so I'm here with Caitlin Mee with a very, very niche but really exciting topic. Um, First, I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you who she is and what she does and take it away. My name is Caitlin, as we know. I'm uh, the Preservation Peach. I'm a regional planner in middle Georgia. I specialize in historic preservation. I love cat butt glass and old gas stations. Yes. And I have been a fangirl, internet fan friend of Caitlin's, like from Ackworth to Texas yeah. to now to make it. So we finally met in real life, which was really exciting for me. Yeah, um, and as a non, you know, professional preservationist, it's, I'm learning so much stuff from you, like the technical Yay. stuff in Windows. And I go around now, like yelling about Windows. My husband, like the other day, old farmhouse i'm like look at those final windows and he's like what are you talking about <laughs> so drinking like, the kool-aid i pretend like i know what i'm talking about but they were so bad they took out the original like shape of the arch oh, oh, it was it was bad. really bad yeah. so so this started this topic started because i got myself to decab county which we all know is hard for me you know i'm always lost out there um but i went to look for the mid-century neighborhoods because there are so many and so then you wrote me and you were like, did you know about, is it Briar Park? Briar Park Court. Briar Park Court. Yeah. It's one street. And this is the crazy part. So it's one street and we're going to learn why it's important because you wrote and explain the terminology here. You wrote something or did some research for it. Right. I worked as an architectural historian doing section 106 review um, ahead of transportation projects with GDOT. And so what that means is, long story short, it's a part of the National Historic Preservation Act. So if you're getting federal funds, you have to do environmental review. And part of that includes um, seeing what I like to say is above ground and below ground because archaeologists make sure you're not digging up, you know, um, native, like sacred sites, you know, you name it. And then we come in and check to make sure that there's like what's significant that the engineers, 
project should avoid, be sensitive to. And so this was um, when I first graduated from Georgia State and started work as an architectural historian, I went and surveyed for a bridge replacement. And oh, um, yeah, so there's okay. that little bridge. Like, were they going to put a, a highway through here? So, and yeah. let me get this straight. This is off Briarcliff. Is yes, that right? Yes. And so to get to this neighborhood, you cross a bridge. Yes. And this is what got you there. Yes. Is checking out this bridge. Yeah. So we just, I was, they were like, they're going to replace this bridge. Go see what's historic. And what is the name of the street? Is it? Briar Park Court. Okay. Briar yeah. Park Court is the name mm-hmm. of the street. Yeah. And. And it, it, it kisses Druid Hills. Really? So a lot of the, the residents, when I talked to them, when I was surveying the neighborhood, thought, oh, we're protected from from things because we're part of Druid Hills because one of their street signs has Druid Hills on the top of it. Oh, but, but they're, they're not, not in it. Mm-hmm. So the before we get into the street, because I was curious about this, that this whole development in DeKalb County or in northeast part of Atlanta, where it's the mid-century neighborhoods, why do we have so many of these neighborhoods with all of this matching architecture? And it did had no idea, it makes sense, that it kind of ties to the white flight. Yes. There's several antecedents to it, and it was new to me when I first came to Georgia because I'm originally from Northern California, and I was like, what is this white flight? We didn't have that in California, and I learned that's false. Um, we definitely had it in California, but it was just most... Uh, Market like here because the distinction between growth at that time period really boomed. And so the apartment um, that is on one of the corners across from Briar Park Court was indicative of like soldiers getting out of the war, needing to have housing for um, young couples who are not ready to buy a home. And so they had these garden apartments. And when I looked at historic, like side note, when I looked at historic aerials of that, you could see that it was more gardeny in the past. Oh, there was a pool, there was all the stuff and they paved over it. Yeah, so there was that piece. And then part of it, like, you know, think about like cars were not really king prior to 1940. People didn't really have, so you were a live, work, play all in the same place. And as the like racial climate started to change in Atlanta, there was this like expansion outside of the city. They started obvious like the redlining whole situation, and then so everybody was the city was bad, and so we needed these suburbs. And the car got us there, so everybody left. And what we think of now is like just a normal neighborhood in Atlanta was the far like OTP yeah, outside the perimeter. That's a good point. You know? This what we're talking about, this northeast part of the city, it, it was far away. It yeah. was a suburb. And oh yeah. We talked about this earlier where it was it just sort of coincides then that the time this is happening, the fifties and sixties, the architecture is just the architecture of that time. Yeah. So what you were saying mid centuries kind of become the architecture of white flight. Yeah. Yeah. Which not you know Don't blame by, the architecture. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> they didn't do it. By <laughs> yeah. So um so this this street and this development is sort of the brainchild of one man. Yes. Or yeah, how does this come about? Like, did he buy the land? So he actually designed it for his friends and himself. So Andre Steiner was an architect. He was a planner, like a um, a city planner. You name, like he wore a lot of different hats. 
um, and studied at Bauhaus. And what is this Bauhaus? Because this is a thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, big I mean, time thing. You had thing. seen me on like, Google before this. I was like, Bauhaus? I'm like, oh, okay, this is a thing. It's not just a band, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very famous school of architecture, I believe in Germany. Yeah, Bauhaus, Germany. And they revolutionized mid-century architecture even more oh. so, like, brutalism and international styles and things. Mies van der Rohe, I think, might have had, like, there's so many architects that studied there, had touched Bauhaus and some way and this guy studied at Bauhaus. He was a Holocaust survivor. Yes. We found this out. So here's the piece that's like I was like jumping out of my skin fainting when I was writing this and researching this guy. Like I was spending weight my my bosses and everything were like you are spending too <laughs> yeah. much time on this. It's like it's a six page yeah. thing. So turn like, it around. Turn it around. <laughs> like we don't have time for this. You're not writing a national register nomination and I'm like so I, I dove deep into Andre Steiner, and so he studied at Bauhaus, and then World War II came around, and everybody's going into work camps and concentration camps, and Andre Steiner was Jewish, and his friends were Jewish. Not all of them, of course, like, but um, so he, I can't remember what, it wasn't a, con, it was a work camp. Him and a lot of people were put into a work camp, and he basically made a deal with one of the Nazi soldiers there at the work camp that if he designed other work camps instead of concentration camps then they would funnel people in out of the death camps and into the work camps wow really so he saved thousands of people through through architecture oh my gosh and so he got to cuba though yeah also read that so at some point he He got away to cuba and then it sounds like to atlanta 1950 so um so this neighborhood briar park court starts in 1953 yeah so really it was like his friends yeah he's like hey we all want to live together on the same street is that kind of what happened yeah yeah (laughs) so he designed every single house on the street i had some um trepidation about if he designed every home because a couple of them were like colonial revival more basic ranches and i'm like that's not your style so do you think that some friends didn't want his design it's possible that (laughs) a couple of them had been altered like there's a split level in there there's one that looks a little bit more like uh an american small house uh one had been horribly altered the one that was painted with wood and stuff yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put photos for you guys on yeah on the show notes because they're i mean it's the stuff i cry about when i drive around too or so he designed his own home though yes and this one here i believe was yes uh 791 briar park court was his 91 briar okay and that's a really cool one he must have been inspired somewhat by eichler um a mid-century architect out of california just because the really wide um like like this one is like sweeping lines yeah the like really low eaves of the gables whatever don't come at me for my architectural terminology i'm tired it's <laughs> Please, Georgia. do you hear me i'm like the sweeping <laughs> lines <laughs> the white one that you talked to had um been painted it's in the ranch house guidelines that was put together yeah and what's the ranch house guidelines is that like a, an official book or something it is an official document that a group of uh or uh, entities g dot uh Georgia's historic state historic preservation office, Georgia Transmission Company, who does all the transmission lines here. Everybody got together and analyzed ranch houses in Georgia. It's really great and kind of extra, 
No other state has done it, but whatever. We're just cool like that, I guess. And so they looked at everything that Georgia had and talked about rural ranch houses. The purpose of it was for people like me that are out doing Section 106 to analyze, like, its significance because it's, like, pretty soon... 70s homes are going to be historic. 80s homes are going to be historic. And people that are doing Section 106 don't know how to fit that significance, the architecture, into, like, eligible for the National Register. That makes sense. Do we avoid this, like, weird 80s house? What do we do with this thing? So when they did it, um, I think a lot of more ranches were, I think, I'm trying to think of the year that it came out. Maybe 2015 or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, wow. it's kind of new. And they included one of the houses. Yeah, on the that one painted white was in there before it was painted white. And what was it, what was it included for? Like being a, like an uh, being an exemplary example of contemporary arch, like really? mid century architecture. Yeah, and the back side of that is glass. You oh. can see completely into the house. Oh, I didn't. That does not look like it from the side. Yeah. Now, how did somebody get away with painting that thing white? It's not protected. <laughs> oh, jeez. It's totally. Yeah. I, and I was going to ask this at the end, but why? Why is this neighborhood not protected? Well, when I spoke to the residents, I can say this now because I'm out of that game. Yeah. <laughs> they were afraid. First, a lot of times people don't know where to start. You know, who do you talk to? Who do you call? Especially in a big city like Atlanta, um, and. I feel like the folks in the city that you would talk to, they're, they do, I'm not saying this as like they're doing bad stuff. It's hard to find who that person is in a big city, you know, like, but, um, so they also thought because one or two of the houses had been altered, it ruined it or that they needed everybody in the neighborhood to be on board. Oh, yeah. None of those are true. None of those are true. Like, at the time, and it haunts me like many historic preservation things do, <laughs> like it haunts me that I was like, I want to help you. But my boss was at the time, of course, is like, you can't do that because it's, oh, like, it's like a conflict of interest. Yeah. So if GDOT gets wind of it, like I'm like, cool, cool, I get it. But now I'm not. So like it, hopefully this will help them. Like this is the way that full circle I can come back and be like, okay, get shine some light on it. It's really yeah. cool. Somebody out there in Atlanta. The, when I spoke to folks at our State Historic Preservation Office about this neighborhood when I was doing my research, they were like, we'd really love to see a National Register nomination come across our really? desk. For that. They knew about it, you know, and but they can't like, I don't, I'm sure it's some kind of conflict because they're reviewers, so they can't write the nominations uh. at Chibo. Yeah, so that's, and really like, I don't know that that would be even really beneficial for them to be on the national registers. It's probably better for them to be locally designated. Of course, it's the most, we, we, Charles and I talked about that on our, the Historic Preservation 101. Yes. Because a lot of people were like, you have a plaque. And it's yeah. like, first you have to pay for that plaque. Yeah, and yourself. The plaque is, and the plaque does nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, that locally preserved is the most important. Yes. Now, I, now you say you talked to the homeowners because I wanted to know. Yeah. I always imagine that the people that live in these homes, especially that they've unaltered, are like into it. Like, yeah, are they into this. They know there's. They know the significance of their neighborhood. I did speak to one of them that had um, totally redone their house. Okay. And I didn't. No, I was naive. 
I was naive at the time. I was a little BB preservationist. <laughs> I don't even think I actually had graduated grad school yet. Like, that's how fresh I was. And I was like, just thought everybody thought this was really awesome. And I, I am that way yeah, now. I yeah. mean, I'm just like, did you know? Yeah. Aren't you excited? And yeah. we were like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. So I had been in the Atlanta History Center researching it because I went that deep into this and found really cool blueprints of these homes. Oh, so you went to the History Center and yeah. found his blueprints. Yes. And they're beautifully drawn. Wow. They're gorgeous. Like, plantings and all this like the whole spiel it's really gorgeous like if I had lived in one of those houses I'd want it framed because it's wow. beautiful but I found a blueprint of this house that had been altered and when I had gone back out after my desktop research as we call it and I went into the field she was like doing yard work and I was like do you live in this house and she's like yeah and I'm like do you know it's so awesome do you know the history <laughs> of this neighborhood and she's like I'm like, I just saw the coolest blueprint of your house in the Atlanta History Center. So like, yeah, we got one in the basement. I'm like, oh, no, no. Okay. But I think one of the other residents was like, I feel like I'm stirring the shit now. <laughs> You're like, gonna... Don't just tell me the house number later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> bleep. There's going to be random bleeps. <laughs> and it's like, but she, like, one of the other neighbors said that was the problem that one person i'm like you don't need that oh, one person okay, so that's okay. to answer the other question you don't need that one person gotcha. when i was a preservation planner in houston we shot for 67 percent oh wow okay for and local that, designation and, and you're saying most of the street understands the and that's houston houston has no zoning so houston like if that's the the bar for houston you can designate so i'm sure you can designate call doug young <laughs> Email is <laughs> yeah. put it in the show. He'll notes. get it done. Yeah. So this is really exciting. So you went off on a tangent. Like you went to the history center, but did you also go to the Bremen as well? So I I it's hard to justify so many field trips when you're in this because they're like, time <laughs> is money, sister. Stop this. You're not writing a national register nomination. Like, ah, I should. But uh, so I their website. So if you're listening oh, to this, they have a great. They website. have a really great and they have website. So much digitized, and it's all. So I found an oral, um, like it's an oral history, but it's it's a videotape of him. And I think they like stop. It was so beautiful because they're sitting in his house in this neighborhood, and it's a video of him, and it's all like that that like 70s trichrome tele like the coloring is just like really yeah. intense and they stop at one point and he's like oh look at that beautiful vibrant cardinal like they're just like talking <laughs> he's just like and he's got he talks so in depth about his experiences doing this architecture for work camps and how he got out and like how he was at the Bauhaus and what it was like doing all these different designs wow. his work here in Atlanta and everything and and Callaway Gardens I mean he was just so involved in planning here in the city that's my next question what because he was city planning so mm -hmm. tell me what he did in Atlanta that he had influence on I think the big one was he did like a a plan for Georgia State in the Sweet Auburn area. I just wonder if he, I wonder if he like, because of his background yes, totally. of like oppression and seeing like his people like being treated like this, he like saw like y'all got to figure, yeah. It, no, the intersect, like, yeah, like was he being intersectional in 1959? Yeah. Like you, you'd hope so. And what's really fascinating about Auburn is if you go way back far enough, it was Jewish as well. Yeah. So Jewish people had stores next to black people because that was the only place they could in Atlanta. So I have a very funny story. Did you find the story about the divorce, how he got divorced? You? Well, I'm asking you. No. no. So this is so random and weird, but 
so quirky. So in 1958, Andre, and by the way, I think his Andrew, maybe his name was Andre. His name was on Andrew, but I think but he everywhere is Andre. Andre. Yeah. So it's Andrew Steiner got divorced, right? 1958. And his friend, um, Abram Levi, also got divorced. And they started dating each other's exes. So the newspaper thought this was so funny because they were like, wife swap. Like, I mean, they were calling it a wife swap. But truly, they got, so his wife um, claims, you know, desertion, which whatever that was in 1958. Um, in August of 1957, they each get granted divorces on December 1st, 1958. And that same day, both couples got married. So they essentially just married each other's ex-wives. And she moved into that house on Briar Park Court. That's wild. I know. That's so, wild. Like, this little street here has a lot going on. So I found, that was the only, like, really crazy story I found. Because then I was I was also looking at other names of people on the street. And I don't know if we can say this blanket statement, but I, I think you could say when it was built from 53 to 55, it was probably all Jewish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then it seemed to maintain that through the 50s just probably because of the area, who lived in the area. Yeah. Uh, and the, But then I think once you get to the 70s, I don't know if that's officially true anymore so what happened with the bridge what was the final i don't know if they built it i need to drive go drive by for me that is actually what i'm gonna do okay good good tell me if they started construction (laughs) there should at least they should have it's been three years man they had better have started construction on it it's so funny or something i I will report back when i go to take pictures of these houses yeah the last time i had and it's one of the the property owners are so nice except for that one house (laughs) And, like, I'm excited to see your research if you deep dive on it more because I couldn't. Yeah. No, now, well, now I, I understand limited. what you worked on. And then, I mean, because for, for me, it's always a people thing mm-hmm. right away. So I'm, like, I already have some names of just, you know, death notices and stuff where I'm, like, oh, I wonder what that person did. I yeah. wonder. Because, like you said, I mean, sometimes it's not a major thing, but it is, it feels major. Yeah. Within the city or within the neighborhood. Or even collectively. Yeah. 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 I love this. Oh, I love yeah. it. So to end this, I think the way I like to end all of my episodes is if I can with a cemetery. Um, we're not positive if he died in the house. We think so. So I'll, we'll fact check that. Um, but he is buried locally and he is buried at Oakland Cemetery. So neither of us know what his headstone looked like. And I, I know like three Oakland volunteers that are probably going to send me a picture right after they listen to this. Um, but I know that is after I go see the houses, I'm going to go see his headstone. Get on it, Sean Diaz. <laughs> I call it out. Um, I feel good about all our information. So I want to thank you for doing this because you live in Macon, like you said, and you were just in Atlanta for something else, and I stolen your time. But I'm I was so excited to meet you in person, and also, like you said, get the story out here. Maybe next year yes. we're gonna be talking about how it's on the National Register. Oh, yeah, or even better, locally designated. Locally designated, you're right. We'll okay. go to like some block party. We can host a block there party. There we go. That'd so, be so fun. for all you listeners. If you want to work on the local designation, let me know. Yeah. So there you have it. The story of Andre Steiner and Briar Park Court. I will have links mentioned in the show notes as well as Keelan's social media handles because if you're not already following her, you should do that right now. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.